You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. Fridays on Locked On NBA, Nick Angstat of Locked On Mavericks and Adam Mattis of Locked On Nuggets power rank the week that was in the NBA. Follow the Locked On NBA podcast today, wherever you get podcasts, especially if you want to continue to hear my dulcet tones on Tuesday with my former Locked On Heat co-host, Wes Goldberg. We tackle the national show where we look at some of the big games, big storylines, and everything else. But you should already know that by now. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you're definitely subscribed to Locked On NBA, as you should be. Continuing our series today on the big what-if questions in Miami Heat franchise history. I got to say, a lot of people have pointed it out to me. I really do enjoy these topics of conversations. I think it's fun. Right now, even as I'm recording this, Heat Twitter is scorched earth as we're debating whether or not Omer Yurt 7 is the biggest trade asset for the Miami Heat. What happens with our depth? Uh, who, you know, whether or not we lost out on Deaky Giroux. I, I, I don't even know anymore. It's hard to keep track. Look, it's the offseason. Look, we're going to start a vicious feeding frenzy on ourselves if we don't cool it. It happens every year. I've seen it as a, a professional covering the NBA. It's <laughs> still so weird to say that out loud. In any case, as somebody who does cover the NBA, I have seen this over time. Twitter, not a safe space over the next few weeks. Be careful out there. It's a you know these streets, these Twitter streets are dangerous during the long off season. But in any case, again, I will be continuing our what if series here. Yesterday's episode tackled what would happen if LeBron James hadn't signed with Miami Heat in 2010. I think it was a really fun look at some alternate possibilities there. I think if you did not hear that episode, first of all, definitely go and do so. I kind of looked at bigger picture things regarding LeBron's own career, where he would have signed. I hypothesized that he was more than likely to sign with the Chicago Bulls to join a young cast of characters over there. There was a pretty deep team. Of course, they had what would have been the future MVP in Derrick Rose in 2011. Unlikely that he would have won that award had LeBron James joined that team back in 2010. But who knows if they would have won a title. I don't think Miami would have won a title, although I do theorize that Carlos Boozer probably would have been signed Instead of LeBron James, a significant downgrade, unfortunately. Not a knock on Carlos Boozer, who was one of the top five free agents that season. It just, well, he's not LeBron James. I don't think that's fair to make that comparison to anybody. Uh, other than that, you know, bigger picture as far as what would have happened with the Miami Heat, what would have happened to NBA culture. I, I think the idea of players joining teams with stacked, you know, stacked superstar level talent wouldn't have happened as much. We wouldn't have seen as much of quote-unquote ring chasing as we do. I think the Heat kind of set the tone a little bit in 2011 with the addition of guys like Shane Battier and Ray Allen later on, Richard Lewis and so on. Those kind of additions, the idea of joining a team that already had a very clear-cut path to the finals or to at least a really deep playoff run, I think that kind of – look, that's been going on here and there throughout most of NBA history, but I think it kind of solidified a little bit with the Heat Big Three. And, and that's that, that's just my personal opinion. Maybe there are 
I think I've covered enough NBA history in my time so I could see where these sort of things happen. But nobody was joining the Bulls in the 90s, even though they seemed like there was still the mentality about whether or not you had to, uh, you know, fight past your, your your toughest challengers, like the idea of not wanting to join a player like uh, Michael Jordan, et cetera. You know, Charles Barkley to this day still maintains that in his playing days, he didn't want to join Michael Jordan. He wanted to go up against him to prove that he was capable. But yet at the same time, Michael was the one laughing at everybody saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm the one with the rings and you're never going to get them as long as I'm here. So I don't know. Ring culture kind of became something more tangible after Michael Jordan. I, I made this point in yesterday's podcast, so no need to belabor it. But these are just some of the topics that kind of spun off of that initial question about LeBron James. But I wanted to get into something a little different today, kind of a you know a look at some individual legacies, perceptions about certain players and one particular head coach regarding what would have happened if LeBron James hadn't signed with Miami in 2010. I think, look, there are bigger picture issues that I brought up or possibilities that I brought up in the previous episode. But today, I'm going to start off by focusing on what would have happened with Chris Bosh. Right now, Chris Bosh is just days away from being inducted into the James Dasif Basketball Hall of Fame, deserving selection, but one that was somewhat questionable, I think. I think he's deserving. I think anybody who followed Heat Basketball from 2010 to 2014 and even beyond that uh, with his days in the Toronto Raptors organization, I think you could obviously make a strong case for Chris Bosh, but one thing that kind of sticks out when it comes to these these one-sided arguments regarding whether or not players are worthy or should they be eligible for the Hall of Fame, one thing that really, really, really helps to find or makes a strong case for them is championship success. And as I pointed out in yesterday's episode, I don't think Miami would have won a title from 2010 to 2014. The fact that they went two of two in four opportunities, you know, four straight trips to the finals, I don't think that they would have won a title at all had they replaced LeBron James with Carlos Boozer or anybody, who knows how they would have been able to build out the rest of that roster. But without those titles there, do you look at what happened with Chris in 2015 when he had blood clots and basically forced him into a very early retirement where you would only play a handful of games over the next two seasons? I, I don't know that it's a guarantee. I, I think we're looking at a player who had some really strong seasons I also don't know if he would have made uh, the, the 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 kind of transition that he would have made that he did wind up making with the big three there. You don't, I don't think he necessarily would have become a stretch big the way he wound up becoming through the last two and a half seasons of the big three era in Miami. So maybe he would have just stayed at the four spot and maybe he would have continued to go up against other elite players, maybe like Maris Stoudemire and others in the Eastern Conference. Maybe they would have won. In, you know, maybe LeBron makes that transition to the four. And then he becomes, you know, the more clear-cut option as far as all-star selections are concerned. And maybe Chris Bosh doesn't get those selections. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe LeBron's teammates in Chicago, like Noah and Deng, maybe they get the kind of recognition that guys like Bosh, you know, and others on this Heat roster got. That's just to say, that's not to compare that Luol Deng was as good a player as Chris Bosh. I think that's ludicrous. I think Luol was a great player, but Chris Bosh was an elite level player, but who knows how his game would have transitioned here. And and that's the kind of things that you have to consider. When I when I start going down this rabbit hole of possibilities, one of the things that that always stands out to me is just that 
you know, we stick to these narratives so easily about what makes a great player and, you know, how they change the game or, or all these other questions and points that we all like to make, you know, kind of similar to what I was making a case about on Twitter. You know, you, you scream into the online ether and hope that somebody's paying attention and agrees with you. Or if they debate you, then it's our, your opportunity to attack them viciously, even though there's no way of proving whether or not your opinion actually matters or counts or is realistic at all. So when you look at Chris Bosch's great career, it's hard to separate what would have happened without that big three era because, you know, he had a lot of great seasons in Toronto, putting up a lot of points. But as we've seen the questions about his Hall of Fame eligibility come into, into you know formation, a lot of people question whether or not those were substantive years, whether or not they were just empty calories of statistic perfection. You know, he was just putting up a lot of points on a team that wasn't going far, and maybe that wasn't his fault, right? But how often do those kind of nuances really define Hall of Fame eligibility? It's like, well, he got rings or he didn't get rings, and it doesn't matter whether or not he got them as part of a super team or whether or not he didn't get them as part of, you know, a team that was just close enough, you know. And with Chris, I don't know. I I don't I don't know that he would necessarily have been recognized as well. I don't think he would have been remembered as well. Like the fact that he was the player who made such incredible change as part of the Big 3 era would likely have gotten glossed over. Like I don't know that he would have transitioned again to a stretch big. I don't know that he would have stretched his game out the way he would have. I don't know that he would have even have lasted in a Heat uniform. Consider that. Like, maybe at some point Pat Riley sees the formation of the Big Three and somewhere in 2012 says, you know what, this isn't working. What if they trade Chris Bosh to Orlando for Dwight Howard after the Dwight Mayor took place in Orlando? And that, you know, maybe you, you shift Carlos Boozer down to the four. You get Dwight Howard in there at center. Pat Riley, you know, who knows what he does. And he, he says, you know, we're, we're going back – to an old style of basketball, bruising style of basketball with a big man in the middle, rebounding, dunking, etc. You've got a playmaker lob threat in Dwayne Wade. You've got a guy who can stretch the mid-range to some degree in Boozer, and now we have our big presence in the paint. That LeBron kid out in Chicago isn't going to drive the lane as much with Dwight Howard blocking the shots here and there. Is that so far-fetched? Because to me, that sounds really the kind of line of thinking that Pat adapts and has adopted over the last, you know, 20 something years of his tenure in Miami, you know, you kind of change the time you look around to the, see who the top competitors are in your market. And then you try and do what you can to find holes in what they do. He did it recently with Milwaukee. Oh, what, what, there's a Giannis guy up in Milwaukee. That's pretty good. Well, let's get enough players here to build a wall around them. Oh, you have a, a great point guard and elite you know playmaker in Brooklyn well we're gonna get one of the best defensive point guards in NBA history on our roster to slow him down just a little bit so I think that's kind of the mindset there and with LeBron thriving there and and you know you stick let's say how that pans out right you trade Chris Bosh to Orlando and they might do it because you know they're Orlando and they're looking to get any kind of response think about that possibility they never acquired Nikola Vucevic instead they wound up getting Chris Bosh and he becomes beloved in central florida i could just imagine chris making strong cases for all-star candidacy going to disney world with mickey mouse ears and everything else that would be that would be phenomenal I, that that brings my heart some joy there in any case in miami now you have Dwayne wade to guard derrick rose you know chicago on chicago native you get carlos boozer to kind of go up against your king noah luol deng a little bit in the backcourt then you get dwight howard down low to challenge lebron james shots does Tom Thibodeau 
get LeBron to expand his game to some degree the way that Eric Spolster did? I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Who knows what happens there? As for Chris, you know, he, he that's the focus here. He does not become a Hall of Fame player. He likely gets traded midway through his stint with Miami. I don't think the Heat fans necessarily embrace him as much, but rather just kind of look at him as a guy that was, you know, a worthy investment in 2010 and unfortunately just didn't pan out. And then as you see him, you know, unfortunately go through life-threatening illness, you kind of say, well, you, you dodged a bullet, right? And it's kind of unfortunate because I think Chris and Heat basketball will remain synonymous for a long time. And I think the Heat fandom has really accepted who he is and love him as who he is because he's such a, a great player a person on and off the court i think the way he kind of embraced his community and has talked so positively about eric spolstra and the heat staff and and his time here in miami the fact that his jersey's retired to think of any other possibility where those things don't take place is kind of saddening to be honest with you but i think it's also realistic it's just i don't think that chris bosh would have been as widely beloved i don't think he would have achieved the same kind of individual success that he wound up achieving in miami maybe he would have wound up having some really good seasons in orlando where they kind of say to themselves well this is we got good return for a player like dwight howard who knows and but then again there was always the threat of you know injury and life-threatening blood clots who knows how they would have manifested maybe Maybe the coaching staff doesn't pick up on them as easily, or the medical staff in Orlando doesn't pick up on these things as easily. And maybe, you know, he shifts the the timeline over there in that franchise to some degree. Maybe they're not as mediocre, they're not as bad as they were for many, many years when they had a, a was it, six-season, seven-season stretch where they missed out on the playoffs following the acquisition of Nikola Vucevic instead of Dwight Howard. I mean, no knock on Vuce. They just had some... Well, they had some really bad teams there. They they fire Stan Van Gundy. They wound up getting uh, you know so many different coaches. A coaching carousel there from Jacques Vaughn to oh god, so many. I, I'm kind of drawing a blank here now, but uh, it's 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 been pretty bad there in Orlando for a long time. And I think to send Chris over there kind of feels well. It's just, it just makes me feel dirty just talking about it. But you know what? That's the reality. Is that so much can change about a team's legacy, as we talked about in the previous episode, but also an individual players. But not only that, also an individual coaches. What do we think of Eric Spolstra if he winds up never having the opportunity to coach the big three? I'll talk about that in the next segment. But first, it's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest 200,000 NFL survivor contest, all open now at BetOnline. Head to the website, use your mobile device, sign up today, and receive a 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Dallas Cowboys, and if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 only for new customers when signing up and using the promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, from football, basketball, boxing, to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait. Take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON. James in Chicago, Chris Bosch in Orlando. But what happens to the head coach of the Miami Heat, Eric Spolstra, joins the team 
as the head coach in 2008, or rather, he obviously, he had been an assistant under Pat Riley for some time, but he takes over in 2008. During that two-year stretch, gets as much as he possibly can out of Dwayne Wade, forms a strong relationship there, receives Dwayne's endorsement when LeBron comes into the team uh, in 2010. And, you know, he's Pat Riley's guy. He's the Heat guy. LeBron, of course, if he doesn't sign in Miami, does that relationship stay as strong between Dwayne and Eric? That's an interesting question there, right? I, I think now you look in hindsight, right? He's already accomplished so much. He, he went to four straight trips to the finals. And yes, there was a lot of talent there, and he was able to not only maximize that talent, be innovative enough to use small ball as a legitimate weapon, initiate one of the greatest defenses that I've ever seen in my lifetime, but also just manage those incredible personalities. I mean, to be able to stay on Dwayne Waite's positive side, mostly. I mean, there were some tenuous moments there. Look, he's gone into some clashes with Udonis Haslam, likely had some clashes with LeBron James and Chris that we never heard about. That's just the reality of coaching in today's NBA. He is a taskmaster, but one that is working as hard as you are in order to help you get the most out of your game. But maybe that gets ignored, right? Instead, you've got a, a coach who winds up taking over this team with a revamped big three of Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and Carlos Boozer. What happens with Eric Spolstra? Is he able to be as innovative? Does he work as hard? Does he work twice as hard now because he does not have LeBron James there? Do, do this new trio of players accept Eric Spolstra's teachings as likely, as, as, as easily as the big three did in, in you know, reality? I don't know if that's the case either. You know, and now we kind of look back at Eric Spolstra and we can always say, look, he's clearly a Hall of Fame coach. Of that, there is no doubt. Five trips to the finals during your coaching career, you're a lock. You know, the playoffs countless number of other times, uh, great accomplishments as an individual, likely to become the head coach of Team USA uh, basketball at some point. And given all that, it, it seems almost like a slam dunk that he will wind up being in the Basketball Hall of Fame at some point. But Again, similar to what I was talking about with Chris Bosh. Without those titles there, do we look at Spo as, you know, one of those guys that is a pretty good coach, but maybe not as innovative or creative as we like to think of him as now? You know, is he viewed as one of the 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 young, bright minds of the NBA, or rather just a guy who who's done really good work? I mean, look, the comparison maybe is unfair. But Brad Stevens was everybody's darling until he wasn't, right? I mean, he, he never really got the most at Boston Celtics teams, and now he's away from the sidelines altogether. Maybe Eric follows a similar path. You know, after the first few years there of whatever happens after 2010, he says to himself, you know what, I, I'm not ready for coaching. I don't want to continue coaching. I'd rather just look into other opportunities. Hell, what if he takes over that Portland Blazers job, right? If he becomes... Dame Lillard's head coach there. He says, you know what? I'm, I'm fine with what I've been able to accomplish in Miami. I know I have unfinished business here, but I also have unfinished business in Portland, my hometown. I'd rather go back there and see what I can do to, you know, to bring back a championship there. And then he takes over a really nice, interesting young roster there of LaMarcus Aldridge, Robin Lopez, uh, Wesley Matthews, Nicholas Batum, and Oh, right, this young point guard out of Weber State called uh, Dame Lillard, was it? Yeah, I think that's that's uh, an interesting roster to take over there. What if what if Spolster becomes the Blazers head coach there after a few years? He takes over the, the Blazers 
and he winds up working with that talented crew. Does he get more out of that group than Terry Stotts ever did? I can tell you right now, Portland's defense is probably going to be a lot better than they wind up being under Stotts. Not to say that Stotts was a not a good coach, but he's not Eric Spolstra. He's not able to – well, his focus wasn't always on defense the way Spolstra was. And who knows about Spolstra himself, right? Like, I mean, the fact that he learned under Pat Riley's tutelage and the fact that he's been part of this organization for as long as he has – Part of this continuity that I spoke about in yesterday's podcast, you know, this is all gone, right? Now, all of a sudden, you're looking for your, what, I mean, fourth coach in the last 20 years instead, you know? Uh, Van Gundy's no longer an option. Riley is back up in the in the, in the big chair upstairs. Spoh's gone. Who takes over as head coach for, for Miami? Do they bring back Stan? You know, after he gets, after he gets fired from Orlando? Maybe he never winds up joining joining the Detroit Pistons. Think about that. He never winds up joining the Detroit Pistons after he got fired from Orlando because of the whole Dwight affair. Pat makes this really emotional press conference and says, giving me the opportunity to correct one of the biggest mistakes in franchise history, bringing back close friend Stan Van Gundy to take over this roster. He gets to coach Dwayne towards the tail end of Dwayne's career after having coached him during the first few seasons of his career. Uh, Pat, you know, has, well, no, that wouldn't have worked out because in my scenario, you're also trading Chris Bosh away for Dwight Howard. So that's likely not going to get a reunion between uh, Stan and Dwight anytime soon. Sorry. Just as I'm thinking about these things right now, the the possibilities all kind of spilling out here. And uh, no, that's not very likely, but who knows? So, so what's the next step? Do they, do they hire Jeff? He's like, well, we tried with one Van Gundy. Let's see what we can get with the other one. I don't, I don't think Jeff is as likely to reach out to Dwight any more than Stan was. Anyway, I mean, who takes over if Spo was to leave here, you know? And maybe then he goes and carves out a whole different career in Portland. Maybe he wins titles with the Blazers, and then he still becomes the coach that everybody sees him as now. But it just, it, all of it is so tenuous. I can't get away from that, even as I'm going through this exercise, something I've been doing frequently over the course of my career here. And it's just, it's always so fun to see how one string unravels and another one and another one and another one. And then these other endless possibilities become potential realities there. It's just a really interesting conversation. So Chris Bosch toiling away in Orlando before the tail end of his career. Dwight Howard, now a member of the Miami Heat. Ugh. Eric Spolstra, now the head coach of, of you know, the, the Portland Trailblazers. And what about what about the team's biggest superstar? What about one of the greatest shooting guards in NBA history? What happens to Dwayne Wade if LeBron never signs with the team in 2010? Well, I'll talk about that in the next segment. But first, just a reminder that if you're looking for parts for your car, then there's no better place to go to than a family-owned business that's been serving customers online for 20 years. That's two decades of service. That's rockauto.com. You can go to a traditional chain storefront. They're going to ask you questions about what you need. They're going to look up the parts in their computer. They might have them available in their warehouse. Who knows? What do you have to do with all that for when you can just find the same parts online on their easy-to-navigate website at rockauto.com? You get all the parts delivered directly and safely to your door. It's the same prices that you'd pay elsewhere, if not cheaper. 
And if that's the case, why bother going through the hassle of going anywhere else when you have access to rockauto.com? Again, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years, whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or somebody who's you know looking to, to you know make some changes, or maybe whether or not you you know you just want to tweak a couple things in your car, maybe you want to save a little of money instead of having your mechanic have to pay for these parts, or if you're a mechanic or you work in auto body parts or anything like that, then you use the same place, rockauto.com. It's available for everybody, and the same prices are for everyone too. So right now, if you find the parts that you're looking for on rockauto.com for your car or truck, Go to the section that says, how'd you hear about us? And write the phrase, locked on, so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. And just a reminder that the best tasting protein bar I've ever had is still Built Bar. And if you haven't tried it, you're doing yourself a disservice. Go right now to Built.com. Get all the flavors that you want. Mix a, mix a box together of all of their great, delicious flavors. They're all soft. They're all easy to chew. 100% covered in chocolate. So many different flavors to choose from. You can get a box of your favorite flavors. Get a mixed box. Give them out to friends, family, coworkers, whatever you want. There's so many different flavors to choose from. And again, they're all great, delicious, and, and good for you too. They all give you the nutrients that you're looking for in a nice indulgent treat. You don't even know that you're eating a protein bar. They're so good. It feels like you're eating a candy bar, but instead you're getting all the vitamins and nutrients that you might be looking for in a protein bar. Go to built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15 and you get 15% off your first order. But use the promo code LOCK15 if you want 15% off, but only at built.com. all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Burkowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. So this feels kind of sacrilegious here when you're talking about heat history. But what happens to Dwayne Wade and his legacy if LeBron doesn't sign here in 2010? It's not that far-fetched a question. Again, the nuances here about how individual greatness is often perceived has to be tied to team success. And it never really is, right? The conversations about Kobe the GOAT or you know how good Kevin Durant is over LeBron James and vice versa, you can't separate. Yeah, you have great seasons of individual production, but if you don't have some team success tied in there and no one player, not LeBron, not Michael Jordan, not Bill Russell, not Robert Horry and his six rings. Not any one player is capable of carrying a team to a title. Giannis was phenomenal in this past NBA Finals, and yet without the incredible defense and occasional scoring of Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, etc., they don't win that title. That's just the way it has to work. And so separating how good an individual player is while still taking into consideration how important team success is in defining their legacy, when you look at Dwayne Wade, yes, one title in 2006 as the key player in that title run. Two seasons in between 2008 and 2010 where he is playing at an MVP level. And yet when the conversation starts to look at what Dwayne did towards the tail end of his career in the second half of his career, how much of that is defined by, well, he was carried by LeBron. Maybe that's the reality and maybe it isn't, but they're, they played together. 
they were part of incredible success, both individually and team-wide. But LeBron got the hardware. He's the one with the regular season MVPs. He's the one with the finals MVPs. We all know that Dwayne outplayed him in the 2011 finals. But the next couple of years, that narrative changed a little bit. LeBron took over as the greatest player on this team and also in the NBA. He's probably the greatest regular season player in the 2010-2011 season. But either way, if he's not in Miami, then what's Dwayne? What happens to Dwayne? Well, let's consider that for a second. Let's say LeBron goes to Chicago in this scenario that we've been talking about for the last two days. Chris Bosh is with the roster, at least for a couple seasons, maybe bring in Carlos Boozer. Who knows? Maybe sign somebody else to fill in that third spot as a potential superstar. Dwayne gets to take over the team, right? I mean, he is unparalleled as far as what happens next. This is my team, my house. I call the shots. Nobody comes in here and disrupts that in any way, shape, or form. LeBron passing through here and taking over as the greatest player during a four-year stint never happens. This is Dwayne's team, and it remains Dwayne's team. What kind of numbers does he put up? Does he eclipse what he was able to produce there? He still has to share the ball with great-level players. Let's assume, like as I have, that Chris Bosh and Carlos Boozer joined his team too. He's sh- he's still sharing the ball. They're not ball-dominant, but I could imagine the narrative shifting a little bit where something that we saw over the first seven seasons of Dwayne's career where he is an incredible playmaker, et cetera, that gets taken to another level. Now, all of a sudden, he has elite-level finishers in Boozer and Bosch in particular, and he can continue to take his playmaking abilities to another level for as good as he winds up being. And remember, health does play a consideration here. Now, on the flip side of that, he's not going on deep runs the way he had during the real Big Three era. He's not going to four straight trips to the finals. Some seasons he might go to the Eastern Conference Finals. Some seasons he may not make past the second round or may not even make it to the second round. That's just the nature of much more parity in this potential what-if scenario. You know, you've got depth in New York. You've got depth in Chicago, Orlando for a brief time there. Things happen, and this Miami team, as talented as it is with Dwayne, Bosch, and Boozer, not quite pushing for a title every year. Not a foregone conclusion that they'll be able to slide immediately into the NBA Finals there. So I don't know what his legacy looks like after this. When he retires, and who knows when he retires, probably not in 2019, I'll tell you that much. I think he probably retires earlier than that, kind of saying, you know what, I've done everything I can as an individual player. Maybe he eventually leaves anyway. Or maybe, you know, he feels... The breakup that happens in 2016 with Pat, maybe it never happens because you say, you know what, I know you're towards the tail end of your career, and I don't care. We're going to pay you as much money as it takes to keep you here for another couple seasons. Maybe he goes out with a two-year, $40 million deal, similarly to what he got in Chicago, and he just plays out the last every cent of that contract, and then he retires in 2018. He doesn't get traded halfway. He doesn't get bought out by Chicago. He doesn't join the Cleveland Cavaliers to play alongside LeBron. He doesn't get traded here the way he does in 2018. He just winds up playing out the last two years of that contract. He resigns in 2014. You know, maybe he, he takes more money in 2010. He doesn't have to give up as much to get Boozer here instead of LeBron. You know, these things have to be taken into consideration. What are his numbers like? I'd say his scoring probably ticks up a little bit. He probably has higher assist numbers, maybe loses a little bit in rebounding numbers because now he has a couple of bigs there. I mean, it's not like LeBron. It wasn't a great rebounder. I just think that the the scoring 
was much more prioritized for a player like him. So I don't know. With Dwayne, I think the story becomes a little bit more about oh, Dwayne, the great player that carried a team to a championship. And maybe, maybe again, these conversations shift a little bit. It's like, well, we all recognize that Dwayne was able to carry a team to a title in 2006, and now it's just a matter of watching him play out the last, the last few years of his career on an almost-ran team. You know, I think he still has the respect of NBA fans in general because he's, well, he's Dwayne Wade. He was still a great player to watch. But without the hardware, right, without the rings to help bolster a very nice-looking resume, maybe he doesn't get recognized as one of the top five shooting guards of all time. It's a, you know, it's a possibility. It seems, again, like I said, sacrilegious to even suggest it, but I don't think there's much of a debate then if Kobe wins five and Michael Jordan with his six. You know, I, I guess you could still argue Dwayne Wade, but look, I mean, James Harden, a lot of people believe James Harden is a better shooting guard than Dwayne Wade. I don't, but I a lot a lot of people do make that argument, and that's without a ring. Dwayne has three rings. Of course, he didn't win those on his own, but even with those three rings to help bolster his resume, it's still very neck and neck for a lot of people regarding where Dwayne and Harden stand. So that probably changes completely with only one ring. It's like, oh, well, you know, yeah, he got a lot of help from the refs and whatnot. A lot of people still believe these things, you know? And, and look, that's not to say that he didn't get help from the referees. Who the hell does it? Like, every player has gotten some help from the referees at some point or another. That's just the nature of what refereeing is. You know, you can sell contact, and Dwayne was elite at it. I mean, as good as Harden is today, I think Dwayne was just a shade below that back in his peak in 2006 through 2010. I wonder how his relationship with the franchise evolves, where he never has to come into question about whether or not he's the undisputed leader of this franchise. You know, he's the man. He is the player. He's the one that brings everybody in here. You know, now even even still, like today, there's a lot of credit for what Pat Riley was able to accomplish when maybe most of it belongs with Dwayne and his ability to bring his friend over, you know, he still doesn't, in this scenario, bring his friend over, but he still stays with the team. He still carries them to greatness, even if it's not necessarily championship-level success. And he winds up putting some pretty big numbers along the way. Does he still wind up having to go through the maintenance program? Man, these are tough questions to answer and really fun, too. I mean, maybe I'm dead wrong here, but to me, I look at this situation, this potential scenario that we're talking about here, and Dwayne puts up really big numbers, doesn't win another title, probably loses a lot of respect across the league from fans and media members and, you know, the NBA community in general because he's a great individual player that wound up tasting success but once and never winds up tasting it again. And he's not recognized necessarily as an all-time great, but just one of those great players of an era. I think that's fair. I, th I think that's how we'll rec remember Russell Westbrook you know, not to compare the two necessarily because Russell doesn't have that title yet, although he might win one with the Lakers. But look at Russell's empty stats, right? Mostly on teams that cater to him to some degree and playing alongside greats like Kevin Durant and others. And then, you know, having to change multiple teams towards the tail end of his career. Who remembers Russell Westbrook in 20 years? How is he remembered? You know, oh, he was an explosive guard that chased rebounds down, you know, that had to have... Biggs clear the way for Russell to snatch those rebounds so he could average a triple-double. I mean, that stands alone, right? In the same way that his MVP 
trophy stands alone as an individual accomplishment. I think a lot of people put Dwayne's title in 2006 along those same lines, even though it's inherently a group success. But the fact that he was, I mean, he's viewed as the individual greatest force in that finals period there. I mean, what he was able to do in 2006, not many players have been able to accomplish that. Maybe Giannis to some degree. I don't know where the, the, you know, the final points per game totals rank, but I'm sure Dwayne is up there in terms of the finals in NBA history. Uh, you know, an incredible accomplishment there. And I just wonder how he's remembered years later if he doesn't wind up winning those additional rings, if the big three era never happens. He's like, oh, he's the best player on a team that was always in the playoffs, that always challenged, that was fun to watch, but never really achieved much title success outside of 2006. Fun question. You disagree? Agree? You think there's another alternative out there? Maybe maybe you think there's another what-if question that deserves to be answered, and, and I'll, I'll do my best to absolutely try to answer that. You can always reach out to me via email at LockdownHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLaHeat. Be sure to follow the show and leave a review if you haven't already. Leave those reviews and people do appreciate them. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting the show and thanks most of all to you. This is David Ramil signing off for now. Oh.